Lord Jesus, we need uh, a fresh encounter with you. We need an experience with you this morning, Lord Jesus. Would you move in our hearts? Would you speak whatever is needed to each of us this morning to draw us one step closer to you? God, as Steve prayed uh, earlier this morning, may we walk away different people this morning because we've encountered the risen King. Do what only you can do this morning, Lord Jesus, and may I decrease and you increase. Be lifted up, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so last week we started a new series uh, just on health, on healthy kingdom people. If you remember, if you weren't here last week, all of our stuff's available online. You can go listen to it. The whole thrust is we've been talking about kingdom life, living in the kingdom of God and, and being good at it, doing well, living in the kingdom of God. We've been talking about that for the last couple months. And after a few conversations with people realize if we're not healthy people, if we don't understand how to be healthy, and we're going to talk over the next uh, few weeks, healthy physically, healthy mentally, mentally, emotionally, not e-mentally, you can, sure, um, spiritually, even financially, like if we're not healthy in these areas, we can't be good at being in the kingdom. Healthy people struggle to live outside of themselves. Health, unhealthy people, excuse me, I may have said healthy. Unhealthy people struggle to live outside of themselves. Unhealthy people tend to have an inward focus. I'm focused on me and my problems and what's hard for me. Yet we read in the scriptures that we're always called to look out for others, to love others, to treat them as better than ourselves. This requires health. So as we're jumping in to this whole uh, series we're going to do on, on kingdom health, we have to understand that without health, we can't be good kingdom people. Make sense? Yes. One plus one equals two. That one's not too hard to follow. So last week, we gave a, def a definition for health, and it wasn't that health is a lack of sickness. Webster defines health that way, that, uh, an absence of illness. That's one definition, and that kind of puts us at that just neutral place. But there's another definition that just caught my heart, and it says this, health is a condition in which someone can thrive. Not just, okay, I'm at a zero, I'm not negative, I'm not sick, but health is I'm moving in a positive direction. I am able to thrive. This is the kind of kingdom health that God wants to bring. We looked at, at passages where Jesus says, like, I have come to bring life and life abundantly, life overflowing, not just enough so that you're not sick, but life that people look at and go, what the heck is that? This is the kind of life that God is pouring into us and calling us to live out. And this is the kind of health that we're chasing after. So this morning starts a series that some of you would probably rather I wouldn't teach on. For the next couple weeks, we're going to be talking about a relatively unpopular thing. To be healthy, we must embrace self-control. Groan. Thank you, wife. Oh, boy. She hates when I do that. We have to embrace self-control if we're going to be healthy people. The reason most of us kind of push back when we hear self-control or self-discipline is because we've been bad at it for a long time. 
We've tried the diets. We've tried the reading plans. We've tried the things, and they were good for a week or two, and then we fell off. And we feel guilty, and we kind of beat ourselves up, and we'd rather just not think about that whole thing. But if we're going to be healthy people, healthy kingdom people, we have to embrace self-control. I'm going to be referring to a book a lot today and reading some passages out of it. Uh, It's called Your Future Self Will Thank You uh, by Drew Dick. Chris, you can put the picture up there. Great book, unfortunate name, Um, but that is for another week. Your Future Self Will Thank You, uh, a book all about self-control. And I would really recommend this book to anyone who, as we talk about this, kind of goes, man, I I need to grow in that area. That's something that I need to to get better at. Uh, It's from a Christian perspective, but it also brings in like what happens in our brain. Uh, when we try to make new habits, when we try to control ourselves. And it's a a really cool perspective uh, and an easy-to-read book. So I'm going to be referring to this uh, multiple times here this morning. And I just want to be clear, like, these are not my thoughts. I'm stealing them um, and giving credit where credit is due. Um, So this is a good book, but let's get to a better book, the Bible. Looking at this idea of self-control, this is a biblical call for each of us. Second Peter uh, chapter 1 says this, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. You see self-control right in the middle there, and I think that that self-control is a hinge on which that whole verse swings. Self-control is that thing in the verse where if you miss that, the whole thing falls apart. But before we dive too much into that, what does this verse start with? Read it. It's right there. For this very reason. Okay? Class, when we read the Bible and we read things like, for this very reason, or because of this, or therefore, that's calling us to look for context. Every time we read, for this very reason, we should go, wait, 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 for what reason? Because of this, wait, because of what? You guys have maybe heard this before. When you read therefore, what's the question you should ask? What's the therefore, therefore? Okay, these are calls for context. So let's take a a step back, and we're going to look a few verses before and a few verses after to put this this whole idea of self-control in context. So starting in verse 3, says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who has called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing, increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind." forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. So Peter isn't just going, hey guys, look, here's some some pointers, some things that, you know, if you want to pick up on some of these characteristics. He's going, these are top shelf. God is calling you to live a godly life, to participate in the divine nature 
by putting on these characteristics. And then there's some warnings, some encouragement and warnings. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind. Peter's trying to make a point. Don't miss this. And so as we start this list, back to for that very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness to goodness knowledge. Pause. Most of us in the American church read that and go, amen. Good stuff. I got to sit through more sermons. I need to read more books. I got to learn more. I got to Google some things. We are okay with the idea of adding knowledge. That's what good Christians do, right? But then we wonder, I've been reading, I've been learning, I've sat through sermons for 30 years now, I even listened to podcasts online, yet my life doesn't look any different. The end goal here, love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, called the Great Commandments. We go, how come that's so hard? I'm, I've got a, a good preacher that I listen to. Maybe it's not me. Maybe you found him online. Amen. But I've got a good preacher I'm listening to. I'm reading some good books. I'm growing in knowledge. How come it's not changing my life? And it's because most of the time we've stopped short. We've settled for just learning and then wonder why it doesn't do anything. Without self-control, without putting what we've learned into practice in our lives, we will never see the fruit of love. The, uh, James says it this way. Don't just be hearers of the word, but what? Doers of the word. Just learning isn't enough. Just hearing that verse, even just memorizing that verse, isn't enough. Be self-controlled. Put it into action. Add to knowledge self-control. And then we move to perseverance and godliness mutual affection and love. Without self-control, there is no perseverance. There is no godliness. Another uh, way to, to phrase that word godliness, holiness. And the writer of Hebrews says kind of a scary thing. He says, holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Okay, so again, Peter's putting this on top shelf. Don't miss this church. We got to go the whole way through or else we are blind and nearsighted, forgetting that we have been cleansed. We are ineffective and unproductive in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. This idea of self-control is a huge one. So many things hinge on it. We skip that because it's hard, because we tried it before and it, we failed, and we give up. Nearsighted, blind, unproductive, and ineffective. So this idea, self-control... The word in the Greek literally means dominion within. Okay? Another way to say that would be mastery within. I am the king of myself. Now, we're going to get on to this in a little bit because some of you hear that and you've been around the block a few times and you go, uh-oh, that sounds bad. That sounds like works. That sounds like human strength. And I get that. We're going to deal with that here in a minute. But that word self-control legitimately means dominion within, having control of yourself. This, the idea of dominion has been around from the very beginning. Back in Genesis chapter 1, 
Then God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. A lot of translations say rule over those things. Rule over the animals. Rule over the earth. Have dominion. And God says, just like I put them in the garden and said, look, by itself, this is going to get unwieldy. This is not just going to magically turn out okay. I've put you here to have dominion, to steer it where it needs to go. And now he says the same thing in your own hearts. Have dominion. Have mastery of yourself. Steer yourself where you need to go. Does this make sense? A few chapters later, we find this same idea of dominion, of mastery, but in regards to sin. Genesis 4, chapter 7. And if you do what is right, you will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. From the very beginning, he's speaking to Cain here. Cain and Abel both brought sacrifices to the Lord. Abel's was received. Cain's was rejected. And Cain's getting mad. He, he goes on, actually, to not master himself, and he murders his brother. But the Lord is warning him, look, if you do what is right, you'll be accepted. But if you don't, sin is waiting, and you have to master it. If you don't, it will kill you, is the implication here. The New Living Translation says it like this. You will be accepted if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. This is not a new thought that Peter was coming up here, and we're going to read about it in some of the other New Testament books. From the very beginning, God has been calling people to have dominion over what he's created. That's one of the reasons why we're here, dominion over the earth. But even more importantly, a call to have dominion over ourselves. Sin is crouching at the door. It's eager to control you. And you must subdue it and be its master. A definition that we're going to use for self-control is this. The ability to do the right things even when you don't feel like it. Okay, so it's not always just in this super spiritual term of like Cain and Abel and am I going to murder my brother or not. But it's in every area of our life the ability to do the right things even when you don't feel like it. Does it take control over myself when eating ice cream so that I don't offend someone who's hosting me is the right thing to do? No, I feel like that stuff. No problem. But in those times when I don't feel like it, am I going to control myself and do what needs to be done anyway? This is sanctification, where that means becoming like Jesus, Jesus transforming us. And self-control is a pivotal piece of it. So let's get into some, some bullet points, just better understanding this idea of self-control. Because again, we can kind of, I can say that word and we can kind of all go to different experiences that we've had. So I want to really kind of cage it in into what we're talking about. Self-control isn't about you and your strength. For those of you that were scared earlier when I said, be the master of yourself, and you went, uh-oh, 
That sounds blasphemous. That sounds like heresy. We shouldn't do that. Self-control isn't about you and your strength. Where does self-control come from? 2 Timothy 1.7 says this, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, of love, and of self-control. The Holy Spirit that God has put inside of those who have called on His name is a spirit of self-control. Galatians 5, the fruits of the Spirit says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. A fruit of the Spirit is self-control. The Spirit gives us the ability to control ourselves. But we have a part to play as well. This is a beautiful partnership with the Holy Spirit. The ability, the strength comes from Him to control ourselves, but we have to make the choice. Look at the end of this verse here. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. We have a part to play. He will let us know you are out of control in this area. Be careful. It's called conviction. And we have a choice to make in those moments. Do I control myself and do what's right through the power that He's given me? Or do I run amok? and just do what feels best in the moment. Ignoring the Holy Spirit, becoming out of step with the Holy Spirit. See, I've heard this many times before, and actually I've said this a few times before in the past. I don't need self-control. I need spirit control. You guys ever heard that? No one. You guys need to get around more. (laughs) There's this thought out there that that self-control is this prideful thing. That's just me trying to be good. What I need is to be controlled by the Spirit. I need, to let, I need to give the Spirit more access to my life and more control over my life. That seems like a really good thing, right? Yeah, and, which I would agree with it to a point. But at any point in time, are you going to be a marionette on strings, being controlled by the Holy Spirit? You have no choice but to do what He says? No. Would things be easier if that were the case? Yeah. If God just removed free will from us and we didn't have to worry about sin anymore, you're not going to find that promise in the scripture, though. It's this partnership with him, relying on the gifts and fruit of his Holy Spirit to control ourselves, to make the right choices, to keep in step with him. Some people see grace and self-control as opposed to each other. It's either all God or it's all me. Remember, I talked last week about how we have to be real careful, we have to be moderate to not get pulled to some of these extremes that aren't healthy. Because I've heard this before, of this whole idea of, look, my life being transformed, my sanctification, again, big theological word, that's Jesus' responsibility. He'll, he'll change my heart, he'll change my desires, and I'm just supposed to like hang around and wait for that to happen. Now here's the thing, is there truth in that? yes. Does God change the desires of our heart? Yes. Does God change us to look more like Him? Yes. But while we just float along? No. Do we fix ourselves up? i got to polish myself up so that Jesus can do something with me. No. Too far the other way. There's this beautiful relationship that happens when we partner with Him, striving. The Scriptures use the word striving, 
chasing after him, chasing after becoming more like him, self-control while he empowers us, while he leads us and guides us and actually does the, the work of change in our hearts. It's both and. So if you hear me say anything and you go, uh-oh, sounds like he's saying we should do it all ourselves, that's not what I'm saying. It's this beautiful partnership. In this book, he puts it like this. If you are tempted to give your effort too much credit, remember this. God is the one who gives you the desire to strive after holiness in the first place. He is the one who alerts you to the presence of sin, helps you discern what's right, and then empowers your efforts to do it. And when you fail, as we all do, he's there to offer forgiveness and restoration. It begins and ends with God. Yes, he allows us to contribute to the process, but we should never mistake our modest part in the play as the leading role. When it comes to spiritual growth, God does the heavy lifting. And thank God for that. We need his power. I don't know if you've noticed, but the Christian life is hard. Have you read the Sermon on the Mount? How in the world am I supposed to rejoice when people persecute me or love my enemies, not just in my heart or, or lust, even in my heart, excuse me. And if I'm relying on my own efforts, I don't stand a chance. Obeying God's command is an important part of God's strength. Is it? I'm struggling to read today, pardon me. Obeying God's commands is impossible part of God's strength. Why am I struggling? It seems like I'm saying it right, but it feels wrong. I'm going to go real slow. Obeying God's commands is impossible apart. Apart, that's what I was missing. <laughs> Obeying God's commands is impossible apart from God's strength. That makes so much more sense. But we still have to obey. Sanctification is like sailing, and I love this metaphor. Sailors can't move without the wind, but that does not mean they kick up their feet on the deck and wait to start moving. They're tying knots, adjusting sails, turning the rudder, all while making sure that the boom doesn't swing across the deck and smack them in the head. Sailing is hardly a passive enterprise, but it's completely dependent on the wind. This is the, the, the journey of self-control that we have to walk. Without the wind, the ship don't move. But that doesn't mean we sit back and kick up our feet because, hey, it's all the wind's job. It's this partnership. Always preparing so that when the wind of the Spirit moves, we're there and we're ready and we're moving in step. It's this beautiful partnership. He gives the means and the ability, but we have to choose and apply it. Second thing about self-control. Self-control isn't restrictive. Many of us struggle with self-control because we look at it as, okay, what are all the things that I can't do? Self-control is not meant to be restrictive. It's meant to be life-giving. It's like reading the poison warning on the back of a bottle of bleach and going, how dare they tell me what I can't do? Don't drink. Don't get in your eyes. It's so restrictive. It is life-giving to not drink bleach, to not get bleach on your eyes. They are doing you a solid. But they're adding a restriction, right? They're telling you, be self-controlled. Here's all the ways that this is healthy for you. Very dangerous here. Be self-controlled. Make right choices. Because if handled improperly, this will kill you. If handled right, this could be a great tool for life. That Genesis 1 passage uh, where, where God gave man dominion over the earth. He told them to rule over it. This wasn't to crush the earth and to be harsh with the earth and to restrict the earth. 
This was to help the earth to be fruitful and multiply. To help the living creatures take the glory of God to places in the earth where it wasn't. This was something of, of, of lead and guide to be fruitful, to bring life. We have to get this idea that self-control is a negative thing. That's just God telling me all the things I want to do but can't. And he's this killjoy. God's saying, don't drink the bleach. It's life-giving. Self-control breathes life into our bodies. Self-control is always more powerful when used for a positive than for a negative. What I mean by that is this. Self-control is always more powerful when we're using it to add something life-giving into our life as compared to self-control is going, quit it, stop it, quit doing that. Self-control is always more powerful when used for the positive. We're trying to cut something out of our lives. This isn't healthy. Stop doing it. And so most of the time we try to be self-controlled and just sit there and go, don't eat the donut. Don't do it. Quit it. And it's so incredibly hard. When instead, what if we replaced a donut with something healthier? Hey, a bowl of carrots. I don't know. It seems like a horrible illustration. <laughs> All illustrations fall apart at some point. This one just happened really early. But instead of just quit it and smacking our hands, replacing those bad things with something life-giving, with something that is beneficial to us. Self-control is always more positive or more powerful when used in a positive way. Now, here is just a truth that we have to agree with. Not everyone starts at the same place. We were not all born with the same amount of self-control. It's been proven like clinically and with neuroscience and all of these things. But all you have to do is, if you have siblings, look at your own family. I was sharing this, uh, these thoughts with my wife, and she was like, oh yeah, totally. I was born with way more self-control my, than my sisters. And I was like, whoa, are you allowed to say that? Like, is that an okay thing? But she went, every time that we would go, like we'd get money, and we'd get to go to the store, all of her sisters would spend every dime they had, and they would buy a whole bunch of candy, and it'd be gone by the time they got home. Kim would spend a little bit of her money and buy like a bag of M&Ms. She's laughing. She's a freak. <laughs> she would take one M&M, and this is the kind of self-control she was born with. A, not to spend all the money. But then she'd take one M&M, and she would just suck on it. As long as, like she'd play games with herself. How long can I make this one M&M last? And by the next day, when her sisters have all crashed from their sugar high and they're walking around trying to find candy, she's still got like three-fourths of a small bag left. It's going to last her for months, not to mention the money in her bank. They didn't all start at the same place. It's not that she's just that good. It's kind of freaky, actually. We all start at a different place. The thing we have to really be careful of is comparison. Well, they're better than me at that, or I'm better than them at that. It's, a, it's broken. Don't fall for it. We didn't all start at the same place. We're not all going to move at the same speed. And that's okay. The purpose isn't we all have to get to this point as quick as possible. It's how do I take one step toward being more self-controlled today than I was yesterday? Whether that means I'm moving from a one to a two, or I'm some kind of neurotic like my wife, and I'm moving from an eight to a nine... How do I take one step closer than I was yesterday? How do I practice self-control a little bit better than I did yesterday? There's always going to be somebody better. There's always going to be somebody worse. It's just, it's no good to compare ourselves. 
But here's the beauty. Self-control is like a muscle. The more you use it, the more it grows. Whether you're one of those guys that started out as super skinny and you're never going to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger, you can't eat enough protein, lift enough weights, isn't going to happen. But how do you move toward a little bit healthier? Building that muscle a little bit more. Some of you, you are more like Arnold Schwarzenegger and it's going to come quick. And praise the Lord, how do you help the other guy? It's not a race. Wherever you are, how do you take one step closer? It's a fruit that the Holy Spirit grows in us, and the fruit grows as we grow. It takes time. We take a step closer to Him, He bears a little more fruit. We take another step closer, He bears a little more fruit. Don't, don't fall into the trap of comparing yourself. Run your race. Self-control is about the mundane. Let me read another uh, excerpt from this book here. It's easy to imagine your life's outcome as the product of a few big decisions. We envision a lone hero showing extraordinary courage at a climactic moment, or a tragic figure losing control at a critical juncture, and that might be how things work in the movies. In reality, our destinies are determined in a more mundane manner. As the writer Annie Dillard reminds us, how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. While we may be tested in dramatic moments, the fabric of life is stitched slowly through a thousand tiny choices that end up defining our lives. The difference of those accumulated decisions is dramatic. They can add up to a life crippled by sloth and sin or to one characterized by freedom and flourishing. Your struggle with self-control is not going to be that, man, what am I going to do when that woman in my office one day may ask me something inappropriate? How am I going to be, you know, how am I going to come out tested in that one moment? And so we kind of just put everything off and wait for that moment to hit. How you handle that moment is going to have a lot more to do with, do I take the second bowl of ice cream? Do I get up and read my Bible today even when I don't feel like it? That is going to train you to become the man or woman that either thrives in that moment or falls short. We always think of these big, dramatic moments, but truly our character is forged in the mundane, in how I treat my family after work when I'm tired, in how I eat every week and exercise, and, and whether I'm, I'm sharpening my mind and I'm learning and growing in new things that seem like, man, it's just a dumb hobby, right? But all of those small decisions add up to make me the man or woman that I'm becoming. I'm becoming a man. Make us the man or woman that we are becoming. You guys knew that. I didn't need to go back there. Struggling. Finally this. Self-control comes through connectedness. Self-control comes through surrender to the Holy Spirit. We grow in self-control. We're ending where we started by connectedness to the Holy Spirit. John 15, Jesus talking, super famous verse, where he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. The one who can, stays connected to me bears much fruit, because apart from me, you can do nothing. I love, Pastor Mark has said this for years, and it sticks with me every time. Apart from me, you can do no thing. If we need to grow in this area, and we all need to grow in this area, it comes through connectedness. It comes through surrender to the Holy Spirit. 
It's the fountain from which self-control flows. Let me read another passage here. Self-control is the ability to do the right thing, even when you don't feel like it. It sounds simple enough, but for Christians, there's a catch. We believe that the right thing to do has been determined by God. He knows what's best for us. He knows what's right and wrong, and through his word, and he speaks to us in the quiet witness of our conscience. Self-control, then, is about listening and obeying. It's not self-determined. It means submitting every decision we make to God. It's about surrendering. When we do this consistently, it's called self-control. I realize that sounds hard. Delaying gratification, doing what's right, surrendering your will. It might seem like teeth-gritting, white-knuckling stuff, but it isn't. Building self-control requires effort. It gets easier as you go, though. Eventually, it can feel like gliding. In a beautiful twist of biblical irony, submission leads to victory. Surrender produces freedom. And as you are liberated from the tyranny of self, you're able to experience God's best for your life. We gain control of ourselves by submitting ourselves to the Father. It's not this white knuckle, I got to try harder and this week's going to be different. It's a Lord Jesus, you've given me a spirit of self-control and I need you today. Give me the ability to make the right choices. Help me to walk in that. And when those choices come up, we still have to make them. But by submitting them to the Father and saying, Lord, what way should I go? Before you even tell me which direction, left or right, my answer is yes. Just tell me which way to go, Father. And we follow him. And through submission, we find victory. Three more little passages, two from the scripture, one more from the book, and then we'll end. Proverbs 16.23 says this, Better to be patient than powerful. Better to have self-control than to conquer a city. A few chapters later, Proverbs 25, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. The Bible has a lot to say about self-control. In the great repository of wisdom called Proverbs, we're told that it's better to have self-control than to conquer a city. I'll admit that the city-conquering language feels a little weird to me. I'm more of a cappuccino conqueror. I was like, amen. But I get the point. In the ancient world, people built massive walls around their cities and they patrolled them with armed guards. Conquering a city was the hardest military feat imaginable. But here's Solomon, the wisest guy in antiquity, saying that controlling yourself is more impressive than pulling off this nearly impossible exploit. The image also provides a telling contrast between two different kinds of enemies. Defeating the enemies beyond your walls is hard. Subduing the enemy within is harder. Proverbs revisits the city-smashing motif elsewhere to hammer home the point, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. In other words, an absence of self-control is dangerous. Soldiers breaking through your walls, dangerous. Next week, we're going to look at some practical things about how do we build self-control. What are some very practical steps that we can take? How do we develop some healthy habits and some of these different things? This week, I really just kind of want to build a case for it. It's not something that can be ignored. It's not something super Christians do and the rest of us just hang back with. 
Self-control is an integral piece of following Jesus. Without it, we fall short. Knowledge puffs up and, and we stop right there. We are called to put it into action, to be self-controlled. And so I want to end this week simply by asking us as, as we leave this place today, as we go home, and I know you all sit around on Sunday afternoons and just contemplate the message and, and all of that. As you're doing that, simply just asking the Lord this, Lord, show me an area that I'm blind to. Show me an area that I need to take steps of self-control in that maybe I'm not even aware of. Or maybe there's that big glaring one you've been showing me for a while and I've been saying no. And just spending this week surrendering. God, whatever you call me to do there, I want to do it. I'm not going to get it perfect. This isn't going to be an overnight thing. But show me how to take one step closer to you in this area of my life. Next week, like I said, we'll look at some practical things and we'll kind of move on from there. But for this week... Just, Lord, show me where the fight even is. If I have some breaches in the wall, show me where they are so that we can begin to take steps to rebuilding it. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, self-control is hard. uh, And to be honest, I'd rather you just do all the work. But that's not the way you've set this up. You desire to take me by the hand, to partner with me, to get your hands dirty alongside me, but that I would work with you in doing the hardest thing that I will ever do in my life, mastering the man within, surrendering myself to you constantly, that you will breathe life and refreshing, that I would be able, God, to look back and see the distance that you've brought me And while we'll sit and laugh one day and say, man, it was not an easy journey, but it was so worth it. God, that I would truly be able to love you well and love those that you've put around me well. That my family would be better because I'm more self-controlled. That my community would be better because I'm more self-controlled. And that I would experience life and life abundant as I continue to submit myself to you. Would you do this work, uh, God, in each and every man and woman sitting in this room today? We love you. We thank you. We need you, Lord Jesus. Lead us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.